It is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, thank you for your warm welcome. And Stephen, thank you for uh, <laughs> sparing me. We talked a little bit uh, about an alternate introduction. And I'll let you ask Stephen about that. Um, Margaret and I are really glad to be with you and uh, with our friends Tom and Iris and, of course, all of our friends here. And uh, we have a few minutes to talk a little bit uh, about the scriptures, about the word of God. Uh-oh, there we go. So we're going to look at a familiar passage. If you have your Bibles, Luke 15. And I'm going to use my notes, if you don't mind. Uh, by trade, I'm a counselor, I suppose. And so I usually sit and listen a lot, and I don't just speak. I get to just sit and ask questions. I know this to be true, and I would want you to pray in your hearts as I talk today, uh, and I will pray in mine to do the same and to uh, love each other. That's not easy to do, and there's only one person that can help us to do that, and that's Jesus in our hearts. The problem is a lot of times we know a lot more in our heads than we know in our hearts. How many of us have said, I know this in my head, but I can't quite get this into my heart yet? That's normal. God had us born in sin, as Rick was talking about, being born in sin and in that we have sin in us. We have darkness in us. And so we're a lot more asleep than we know. Most of us know the heaviness in our heart often more than we know the joy in our hearts. That's why I have a job. And that's why you have one too. Because we're all counselors. We're all shepherds. At least uh, we're meant to be. Because the great shepherd is bringing us home. And, and that's been the plan all along. All along it's been his plan to, to find things that are lost. And that's you and that's me. And that's what this chapter is about, Luke, Luke 15. It's about lost stuff. Lost sheep, lost coins, and lost kids. So I'm going to read the passage. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time just talking about three thoughts. In the center of the story, there is a lost son, of course. It's called the prodigal son. Everybody knows the story, or if you haven't, uh, read it. Let it be a central story for you. But there's actually two lost sons, a younger son and an elder son. But we're not going to focus on either of them this morning. We're going to focus on the father. Because we are to meant to have the heart of a father, the heart of a mother, the heart of a brother, the heart of a sister. And we are not that yet. And yes, we are. If we are new in Christ, we are brand new. We are true inside of our hearts, but most of us are weary and heavy laden. And Jesus says that in Matthew 11. Come unto me, who, those that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And then he says this interesting thing. Take this yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. One of the yokes, the central yokes of Jesus is suffering. Suffering. I thought the Christian life was about joy and peace and rest. And to be sure it is. But before that happens, there must be a fair amount of suffering apparently. But see, the kids, pain is bad. I know that you love me if you don't make me take a nap. 
I know that you love me if you don't make me do those chores. And if you don't have it, I'm a good kid, one of my kids said to me a long time ago. I shouldn't have a curfew. You ever heard that one? If you really loved me, there wouldn't be any boundaries. And you say as a parent, yeah, but I do love you. And that's why we do have those boundaries. That's why we do have those chores. Lost things. In John 9, the Pharisees came up to Jesus after he had healed the blind man. And the Pharisees came up to them and, and said to Jesus, because this, this blind man had not, not only received his sight, he had received an inner sight. Because he saw the one man that loved him without fail. His, his, his spiritual community had failed him. His parents had failed him. Everybody failed him, but not Jesus. And he fell down and worshipped him. And the Pharisees said, certainly you're not saying we are blind too, are you? And Jesus made this comment. I, I want you never to forget this comment. And he said this. He said, because you say you see, you're blind. I can't tell you the number of people have said, oh, I know my issues. Don't even say that anymore. Just say, you know, I'm learning what my issues are. I'm learning what my stuff is. I'm learning what my baggage is. And you have this one life to let God unpack it and then fill you from the inside out with his spirit so that you can obey his voice. Most of us know the Bible a lot better than we can hear his voice. We need both. So this is what he says in, in Luke 15, and I've photocopied uh, the message. So this is Eugene Peters ver Peterson's version of it. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. See, the, the, the ministry had crescendoed to this point, and we're right now we're on the eve of Holy Week. In the, in the text. We're on the eve of the passion of Christ. We're on the eve of the finished work of God on earth. The Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through this because of time. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99? Now, to be sure, there was usually a group of shepherds, not just one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 and go find that sheep and then bring it back, put it on your shoulders and, and carry it all the way back to the fold? And when you brought it back, wouldn't you gather your friends and have a celebration? And then he talks about a woman. And it's interesting that he's talking to the Pharisees and he's talking about shepherds and women, both of whom were despised in that culture, looked down on. Or imagine a woman who has 10 coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, celebrate with me. I lost my, I found my lost coin. Count on, that's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Then he said, there once was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. So let's just stop for a minute there. What is he doing? 
Why, why isn't there a tough love for this son? Why doesn't he say to him, yeah, I know what's going on here, and, and you're going to go squander all this money, this money I've worked so hard for. I'm going to have good boundaries. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Now, I, I'm all in favor of boundaries. It seems that, and these are the three thoughts we're going to look at quickly this morning, it seems that he participates in the son's madness. He takes into himself what the son is actually saying. And what is the son actually saying? The son is actually saying to his dad, you're worth more to me dead than alive. What do you think that was like for his dad? How did he manage that kind of hurt in his heart? The Bible seems to, to, to not say there was no, that, that there wasn't any lecture. There wasn't any moral exhortation. There wasn't even a pleading with the son, can't you see that this, this is sinful and this is wrong? Can't you see the implication that you hate me? He divides the inheritance and gives the son what he demands. Have you ever lived with somebody who demands something from you? Have you ever demanded it yourself? You see, when we're born as kids, all of us demand something. Maybe we demand uh, to be right. Maybe we demand to be powerful. Maybe we demand, we demand to be cool. Or maybe we demand to be laughed at or despised. But all children handle the hurt in their heart, the sin done to them with sin with hatred, with contempt. See, there's no, there's no, okay, well, here's your inheritance, son, and, but you'll see. You see, this first embrace, I'm calling this the first embrace, the first embrace of God is what Jesus says. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. When we are baptized into his death, this is not just simply a ritual. This is not simply something that is symbolic. It is something that is to be true in our hearts and is true. We take on with him the sufferings of sin. And as we take sin into ourselves willingly and weep, there is a conversion that continues to happen throughout our life. We are not just born again at the first time. See, what, is, what happens when you're born again, John 3? What happens in born again, is, born, uh, John 3 and uh, born again, is you run out of resources for yourself, your old, tired self, the self you know the best. At some point, against your will, you say, help me, save me. And at the the, the first turn of God, toward God, God, you feel the rush of his wind. You feel the new breath in you. You see his face and that he loves you and that he cares for you and he would rescue you. But if you do not know you're lost or you do not know the parts of you that are still, even though you're a new creature in Christ, I just heard the Christian life a little audio problems here. Uh, you might just live the Christian life better educated 
but more living in the flesh of the old self than you realize. The point is we need to wake up. All disciples need to wake up because we have harder hearts than we realize. The Father divides the properties of point number one is if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to wake up at all, we must be willing to participate in another person's madness and that not against your will. One of our kids, uh, I have six kids, that was my real education. Um, she was 16 and angry uh, and a good kid, straight A student, driven, I remember standing with her in the parking lot one day and I said, relating to you is a little bit like relating to a foam rubber covered tank. And she, she laughed, she, 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 th she thought that was a nice image. <laughs> she was, she was kind of proud of it. And I said uh, the next thing, but I don't think I know the girl on the inside. And then she started to cry. And she said, I hate it when you talk to me like that. She'd given her life over to Christ, but there was something very mixed up in her. And she would say today, she's in her mid-30s, she has three kids. She would say, power will never save you. And she was a powerful kid. She liked to do powerful stuff. She wanted to be the top dog. I remember giving her personality book, you know, and said, find, see if you can find yourself in there. And she read through the book because she is going to stay on top of things, right? And she read through the book and I said, did you figure out which one you are? And she said, yeah, dad, I'm the worst one. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you mean? She goes, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and I'd read this book and I said, yeah, Winston Churchill and George Patton, you know, uh, um, if I, we were in a battle, I said, I, you're the first one I would want in my foxhole. Sometimes you get a little mixed up which way to point the gun. That's, that's a problem. <laughs> she was 16 and she was in the cross country team and she was in orchestra and she was uh, in class and she's given me permission to talk about this. And and there's no way that we, she, it could fit into her schedule to run with the team. And so I said, well, why don't we run in the morning? I, I usually run in the afternoon, but I'll just get up early and we'll run together. Of course, part of my thinking is, you know, I want this father-daughter relationship, right? You know, I want this thing to, I want to be close, right? She says, forget it. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll just show up and if you want to join me, great. So I got up at 5.30 in the morning or whatever it was, and, and I would just go run. And, and about two weeks into this, she, she shows up. She says, well, I'm here. I said, well, great. I'm glad, I'm glad you chose to, to come and run because she wasn't running. And she needed to run for the meets and all and stay in shape. And uh, so we began to run. And as we began to run, our subdivision is about a mile and a half, the outer perimeter. And I said, let's just run the perimeter. And uh, as I would run, and so my, in my mind, the image that I have as a dad, right, is we're going to run side by side, and, you know, <laughs> this is the way this thing's going to work, right? Well, 
but remember, she's the top dog, right? She, you know, she's going to end up on top. So, so she runs faster. So then I run faster, and so at about the half mile mark, we're at a dead sprint. <laughs> I'm thinking, what? I'm so, I'm so. It's like a mixture of praying and and what the heck is going on here? <laughs> And so, so then I just slowed up, and she slowed up, and so then for the next five weeks, we ran together, meaning I ran about five feet behind her, and she ran about five feet ahead of me, and the conversation was more like, I'm going to quit orchestra. Okay, well, you don't want me to, do you? No, no, I'd, I'd, I don't think that's a good call. I, w I wouldn't suggest that, and Mom and I like to listen to you, and, you, and you're good at it. Hmm, well... That, that was the conversation. So it was, it, and I'd come home and Margaret would say, so how did it go? And I said, the normal beating. <laughs> and I'd wrestle with God about that. What am I doing this for? Stay in shape? Take another verbal beating? Let me know how crummy our relationship is? This is painful. I did not want to keep doing it. At least part of me didn't. One day I remember ride, running and it was, uh, with her. It was in the fall of the year. and It happened to be a, a warmer morning. And uh, I still remember it. And, and God said, what are you so unhappy about, Bruce? <laughs> this is horrible. This is, this is like my morning beating with my daughter. And he said, uh, well, I'll run with you. I said, well, thanks, but, uh, you know, not, not really what I had in mind, you know. Um, and then he said something, um, which he said to me before, I'm, I think I'm a slow learner, he said, why don't you just love her? Well, what do you think I'm doing here? think this is something I like doing? And then he said her name. And he said, she's very special to me. Why don't you help me do what you cannot do in your heart? By just running with me. Meaning, why don't you love her unconditionally? You know, running five feet behind her daughter and coming to tears is uh, a joyful experience, actually. See, God arranged that for me, not just my daughter. He was making me into a true dad. See, in the first two, the first two vignettes, remember we said Luke 15 is about lost stuff, lost sheep. The shepherd goes and finds the sheep. Does the sheep repent? I don't think so. How about the woman with the coins? She finds the coin. Does the, does the coin repent? See, but the, the difference between sheep and coins and kids is that if, if, the, if the father goes to a far-off country to find the kid, there's no repentance. Repentance. 
desires for us to be true children. In order for us to be true children, he offers a true dad. But none of us start out as true dads, true brothers, true mothers, true sisters, true friends. See, none of us can pull off what Jesus only can pull off. I call you friends. Were they friends? I think if I remember the story in John 13, they're still kind of who's greater than who and talking about thrones. And this is during the Passion Week. This is at the end of three and a half years of training. At the end of three and a half years of training, the basic 12 guys don't get it. And neither do we. Unless he does a work in us every day of our lives. He participates in our madness. He gives us what we demand. Do you know what you demand? Do you know what you demand of others? Do you do some of us demand to, for people to like us, to admire us, to esteem us. Some of us demand uh, for us to hate them, to be mad, to criticize. We are all, tr we are all born as slaves, not true children. Second Timothy says this, uh, Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Do you know the parts of you that are still enslaved? the evil one. God arranged for my daughter to run five feet ahead of me to help me see mine. You see, part of me, I want to I have a close relationship with my daughter or with my son. I have five daughters, one son. We've had lots of weddings. But consistently, I want to have a close relationship do you think I had that as a kid? No. Suffering is always the path before joy. Point number next. He participates in our madness. But the second thing the father does is he waits. So the father divided the property. The son leaves. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. And after he had gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine. He signed on with a citizen there who was assigned him to his fields to slop his pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. Here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He's rehearsing this speech that he's going to give his dad. Now realize the reason he's repenting is because life isn't working out. And that's what I do too. The reason I begin to repent at first is not so much because I want to do good. It's because my what supposed goodness has run out of steam. 
And now I'm asking the question, what am I running with this kid for? She doesn't want me. The truth is laid bare. Not only they begin to talk to God and begin to wrestle with him and to see his face or not. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, why did he see him a long way off? Because he was looking. He participates in our madness. He takes into himself our sin. He is a death eater. But point number two is he anticipates. He waits. In a word, he hopes. But you know, hope is foolish. And it's the, the wisest thing on earth. Who do you hope for? Because if you hope for anybody at all, your heart will surely break and weep. Not who are you optimistic about. See, optimism has to do with denying what is true, denying what is reality, and kind of thinking good thoughts, putting a good spin on stuff. But hope always carries with it anguish. He waits, meaning he not only takes the son's demand into himself, but he also waits, he longs, he hopes for something good. He hopes for his son to come home. You know the story, right? When I ask the question in counseling, when I ask someone sitting with me, I ask a friend, well, what would you hope for? What would bring you to tears? Nine times out of 10, the response I get is the same response that I've had in my own life, which is nothing or that ain't going to happen. Let's get realistic here. Cynicism, resignation. A friend of mine, uh, she's in a, been a very troubled, in a very troubled marriage for some time. And um, through the course of, of talking, uh, it's not a counseling situation, um, she began to realize that when she married her husband, what she really wanted was a place to be secure. She wanted a place to attach. She wanted a place for herself. This February, she gave her husband a valentine, and in the valentine it said basically, I think I'm beginning to learn that I don't know what love is, but I want to learn, and I want to learn with you. Who wouldn't want to get a valentine like that? We might say, well, gee whiz, when I have the valentine that says, you're my sweetheart, you've always been my sweetheart, everything's great, I'm so glad I met you, everything's gone up you know, to better and better heights from the very beginning, well, why not that valentine? We've got lots of those valentines. This one actually told the truth. I thought I knew what love was, but I didn't. And it was humble, and she handed it to him, and he was in tears, I was not there. I, I'm sorry, she was in tears, and he just took it. And I talked to him later, he's a theologian by trade, and I, we, were, we were friends, we were ta I talked to him, I said, how did you receive that? And here's what he said. He said, well, it's better than nothing. What happened? Why couldn't he receive what was given to him? We, we've talked, we're friends. 
We've talked. We've, we've, we've traveled together. What's, what went wrong? Hope. That's what went wrong. When you handle another person's demandingness, when you handle another person's sin with, with supposed patience, but really it's just teeth-gritting endurance, and then something good happens, there's no running out of the house. You cannot receive the good thing that is happening because you've been happen handling the bad thing with bad stuff. Does that make sense? In the Christian life, evil gets to win. Do you know what I mean by that? You have to let another person's sin hurt you. You don't get to handle it with apathy or resignation or whatever I said earlier. In a, in a word, you don't get to harden your heart. He participates in our madness. He anticipates our return. He longs for us. The third thought is a, a simple thought. What it says is uh, when he still is a long way off, this is what his father does. His heart's pounding. He runs out and embraces him and kisses him. The son starts the speech, but it's as if the father isn't even listening. Now notice, his theology is not right yet. The son is not right. He still thinks he's going to go home and work as a hand, right, as a servant. Remember? I'll go back and I'll just work as a servant. He still does not know that he is his dad's son. He still doesn't know what Romans teaches us, what we sang this morning, morning, which is he is our dad, he is our daddy, he is our king, he is our captain brother, he is our lover to be sure. <laughs> but the father runs out and embraces him. George MacDonald says this. What, what am I saying? Point, this last point is a simple point. If any man desires to be first, Jesus is saying to the disciples, um, because he had called the twelve, the last shall be, they shall be last of all, and the servant of all. He took a child, and he set the child in, his, in their midst. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me doesn't receive me, but receives my dad, receives my father. What the father does is he runs out in a childlike love and embraces a work that is still in progress. M meaning, he doesn't, when the son comes home, because he loves the son, he doesn't say, the, the first thing he does, he, d he does is not like, so did you learn that it didn't work, right? Did you learn that going to a far off country didn't work? I mean, have you improved? Improvement is highly overrated. Uh, love is highly underrated. The point in life is not improvement. Getting better or setting things right, at least in that way. Not in that way. Now, do things improve when love becomes central? Yes, they do. McDonald says that there's nothing that God requires in us that is not first in him. Do you believe that? 
There, there's nothing that God requires in us that is not first in him. So apparently what's true is God is childlike. Have you ever thought of him that way? That at the heart of thing, he dances, he plays, he laughs, he cries. And he misses us deeply and greatly. The problem is we're too grown up. It's like we're all grown up on the outside and all stuck on the inside. What if we became unstuck on the outside, childlike on the outside, but grown up on the inside? Now that would be cool, wouldn't it? This same daughter came to me, uh, then later was in her 20s and said, how did you do it, Dad? I was horrible to you. An old part of me wanted to go, you want me to tell you how bad it was? <laughs> but that would have been an old and mean part of me. I don't know where it came from, but what I said was, that's okay. We all have a lot of badness in us, and it needs to come out. I'm glad I could just walk with you. He writes a poem, George McDonald. He says, little one who straight has come down the heavenly stair, tell us about our home and the father there. He is such a one as I, like as like can be, do his will. And by and by, home and him you'll see. Let me pray for us. Father, you are our home. We are increasingly beginning to know that you love us. We know this is true and we give our love to you and we're learning what that means. Help us to have a father's heart, a mother's heart. Help us to have the heart of a friend like Jesus. A heart that is full of unconditional love. We know that we're full of darkness and sin and yet we long to be made cle clean and pure and true. In that sense, right. Only you can do this work in us. Help us to yield to you, to surrender to you, to obey every whisper of your voice today and in the days to come. We praise you and give you all the glory and honor that we have to give you and all the love that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.